The risk of myocarditis after an mRNA vaccine is 133 times the background risk. That is according to a new study that we're going to go take a look at. Come on, let's go see what that is. Dr. Chris Martinson here, CEO of Peak Prosperity, and uh, today we are going to be talking about this right here. Let me pull this up. So, two things. First, <clears throat> get that out of the way. Myocarditis risk. There's a paper that's come out that's looking at myocarditis in uh, mostly in males. Very, very much elevated above the background risk. We have to talk about that, and I'm dedicating this, and we're going to talk today about the Brandon Watt tragedy, which is also a connected event, and we're going to connect this back to the prior episode as well. However, first, um, I do need to talk about, uh, we're doing something brand new today. Today is the first time that we have a sponsor of this program. This allows us to cut the cord with um, the ads that normally would get served up. And by the way, here are my rules. I will only ever accept sponsorship from somebody for a product that I happen to believe in. And today's product is around something that I do believe in quite a bit. Um, if you haven't, uh, to this point, ever bought gold, and by the way, when you get that in your hand, you realize you're holding on to something really cool. I've been an investor in gold in, I'm not an investor, I hold my some of my wealth in gold, and I've been doing that since 2001, uh, and silver as well. Big believer in both of these, and um, today we are going to be accepting sponsorship from, and we have, from this company right here. So, uh, this is American Hartford Gold. They, you know, listen, the inflation numbers are really up high. They're the worst that we've seen in the United States in 40 years. Price of gas is up. Price of housing is up. Price of everything is up. National debt's out of control. Uh, money printing's out of control. This is something I talk about a lot at Peak Prosperity. And with the current administration continuing the process of well, printing trillions and trillions of dollars, um, that is something that is going to lead to more inflation. That is my prediction and expectation. So uh, as we come into that, here's the deal. American Hartford Gold can show you how to hedge your hard-earned savings against inflation and help you diversify a portion of your portfolio into physical silver and gold, something I truly I believe in it. I really do. All it takes to get started is a short phone call. There's the number there, 866-569-0034. Or you can just text PEAK, P-E-A-K, to 65532. And if you call them right now, they will give you up to $1,500 off your first order in free silver. So don't wait. Give them a call. And I'm very happy to have finally um, gotten some sponsorship here. So that, that feels good. So... With that said, I, I do believe in it, by the way. I really do. And, and by the time, when you get your first, like, tube, it feels really good. Um, and I wish we weren't here at this point where we have to distrust what our main institutions are telling us, this, in this case, the Federal Reserve, and what they're doing for printing. But more than that, the FDA, the CDC, and the equivalent bodies in other countries have really remarkably failed us in terms of giving us the information we need to make full informed consent. So we're going to go through over some of that information here today. And let's start right here with the study. So um, this is the headline from Israeli National News coming to us from the, that's that um, 2701, the first 27th of January. New study, 133 times the risk of myocarditis after COVID vaccination. Comparisons with myocarditis rates, rates following infection, now irrelevant as vaccination no longer 
prevents infection. That's a really interesting point right there and something you should probably focus on. So we now know that um, these current vaccines, as they are configured, no longer prevent infection. Now, what we don't know, and this study can't answer this for us, is what is the infection risk follow-on for Omicron? Is it higher for myocarditis? Is it less? So we don't really know. But it does make the good point here, which says, well, if these vaccines aren't really preventing infection in the first place anyway for Omicron, and by the way, they really fall off in, in their ability to prevent infection of any of the other variants too. So that's where this study does apply to the extent we are seeing alpha, beta, gamma, delta variants. We know that those vaccines wane in effectiveness within six months. Um, boosters in as, as short as four months now for the third and fourth, according to uh, UK and Israeli data. And um, in fact, we even have data from other places that suggest not only does the effectiveness wear off, but it actually increases the risk of infection. Um, two jabs, higher risk, according to data from all sorts of different countries now, which is why we're seeing country after country after country actually beginning to relax the restrictions and treat this more as an endemic disease that you use early treatments for and treat it that way. All right. So at any rate, carrying on here, it says here, a recent study published on the January on January 25th, 2022 on the JAMA network has shown that the risk of myocarditis following mRNA COVID vaccinations around 133 times greater than the background risk in the population. Okay, what did they do? So I'll, I'm going to take you into the study because that's what we do. We go right to the source. Um, but basically what they did is they went into the VAERS system, they parsed through it, and then they looked at that and compared it to a general population. All right, in yellow at the bottom, quote, um, they also noted that given the passive nature of the VAERS system, that's the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, system, VAERS system, it might be at any rate, the number of reported incidents is likely to be an underestimate of the extent of the phenomenon, and I believe that's a correct summary. So let's go here first. Let's talk about what is myocarditis. I get this question quite a bit. It's a big word. Myocarditis it has three parts to it we should understand. Myo is a muscle, muscle tissue. So um, myo always refers to muscle, card, card, cardio, obviously heart. So now we're talking about heart muscle, myocard, heart muscle, itis, I-T-I-S, always means inflammation. Now, what is inflammation? We'll get to that in just a second, but in in um, heart muscle, myocarditis would be referring here to inflammation of the middle layer of the heart wall. So not the pericardium, which is the outside, not the very, very inside of the heart, where there's another sheath layer in there of, of different cells, but it's the muscle wall. So it's the thickest part. When you say heart, most people are really thinking of that, the middle layer. It's not a layer. It's like pretty much the whole thing um, by weight. Myocarditis, they say here, is usually, ca usually caused by a viral infection. True. A severe case can weaken the heart, which can lead to heart failure, abnormal heartbeat, and sudden death. Symptoms include chest pain, abnormal heartbeat, shortness of breath. The treatment may include medication to regulate the heartbeat and improve heart function. In rare but severe cases, a device may be needed to help the heart function. In really, really severe cases, you may need a whole new heart. And in even more severe cases, you die. Um, it can lead to fatal outcomes. So myocarditis is a very serious condition. It is an inflammation of the heart. Okay, so here's the study. This There's a lot of authors on this, but uh, Oster here is the lead author. 
And this, again, came in the Journal of the American Medical Association, JAMA. And the original investigation says here myocarditis cases reported after mRNA-based COVID-19 vaccination in the U.S. from December 2020 to August 2021. So that takes us through Delta, but this is pre-Omicron. And it takes us from December 2020, which is when the first vaccines were given. So in December 2020, all you could have had was, except for trial study participants possibly, but there's just very few of those. Generally speaking, all you could have had was people who had the first shot in December 2020. So they're carrying this all the way through 2021. So it's what, eight or nine months of data here. All right, the objective was to describe reports of myocarditis and the reporting rates after mRNA-based vaccination in the U.S., so that's either the Pfizer or the Moderna. And the design setting and participants here, this is a descriptive study of reports of myocarditis to the VAERS system. Um, Okay, so they're just going through VAERS. You pull in there. When you see a full VAERS report, what do you see? Well, there's a whole case in there, right, with varying levels of, of... completeness to how those reports are done. So some of them are fairly shoddy and incompletely done. Some of them are really rich and robust and very well done. At any rate, it's a system and uh, maintained by the CDC. You go in and you, you enter stuff, mostly doctors, but honestly, anybody can enter information in that system if you know how. All right. Um, so they looked in this system that occurred after mRNA-based COVID vaccine administration began in December 2020 and December uh, sorry, August 2021, 192,405,448 individuals. This is a big group of people who got the vaccines. And so they were looking at um, anybody age 12 years of age or older, because that's really all who was um, uh, authorized for in this particular time period. And um, and then they processed, the data had to be processed by VAERS as of September 30th. So it takes it a little time. This gets entered in the system. There's some cleanup and then it gets processed by the system, and then it's available. So at any rate, that's what they're looking at here. That's the whole study thing. I have some some concerns about a study like this, but we'll get to that in just a minute. All right, so what did they? What are the methods here? So they were looking for either vaccination to either of the two vaccines from Pfizer, or Bio, uh, Bio, Pfizer Biotech or Moderna. Main outcomes and measures. In yellow, quote, reports of myocarditis de Vares were adjudicated and summarized for all age groups. So adjudicated means they went in and they looked and they're like, yeah, this one looks pretty good. We'll take this one. This one may not fit the definition or it's a misclassification or there's too many errors or it's missing and so much data we, we can't do anything with it. So that gets excluded. So they did an adjudication process to say, we'll look at these, not these. And so uh, carrying on, quote, crude reporting rates were calculated across age and sex strata. Expected rates of myocarditis by age and sex were calculated using 2017 to 19 claims data. So here's the thing. The claims data is probably fairly complete, right? Because myocarditis is an expensive condition, right? Trip to the ER, maybe some time in the hospital, lots of specialists, um, fairly expensive drugs sometimes that you get on, sometimes not. At any rate, uh, so they're comparing what they found in VAERS to claims data. Continuing on, quote, for persons younger than 30 years of age, medical record reviews and clinician interviews were conducted to describe clinical presentation, diagnostic test results, treatment, early outcomes. So if you're under 30, and that's, by the way, where a lot of these reports are clustered, they actually, I like this, they made a call, said, what did you see? What was the treatment? What was the outcome? Things like that. 
So that was cool. I'm glad to see that they did that rather than just sort of pawing through some online digital data and making what they could of it. They actually, I think, took the right steps to say, of the cases that are we're going to adjudicate and we're going to include in our study, what can we know about them? So that's good work. Limitations, um, what are the limitations in a study like this? So they, they had noted several limitations, but here's the big one. In yellow, quote, VAERS is actually a passive reporting system. As such, the reports of myocarditis to VAERS may be incomplete and the quality of the information reported is variable. So what does passive mean? It means you don't have to. And in fact, I've heard lots and lots of reports of people who had heart issues and when asked um, or they related their tales and said, hey, did your case make it into VAERS? The answer is almost always no. Um, there's a lot of resistance to getting these in. It takes a lot of time. There's a lot of people who aren't interested in seeing that go in. There's pressure to not put things into VAERS in certain hospital systems, so it's a little incomplete. Carrying on, um, they say that uh, VAERS data are subject to reporting biases in that both underreporting and overreporting, it's possible. However, quote, given the high verification rate of reports of myocarditis to VAERS after mRNA-based COVID-19 vaccination, underreporting is more likely. So the high verification rate was when they adjudicated these things, they called them up and like, come on, is this really myocarditis? Like, oh, yeah, it really was. That high verification rate means that if they had a lot of junk reports coming in, so it's like half were, half they adjudicated not to be myocarditis, they would go, we might have an overreporting problem. What they're saying here is that they had um, high verification rates. So the reports were good, meaning that um, uh, there probably was an underreporting going on. Therefore, they say, the actual rates of myocarditis per million doses of vaccine are likely higher than estimated. So what do we make of that? The 133x now is actually a lower limit, I would think, on the actual increase in myocarditis. And by the way, as compared to background, and by the way, uh, that's just one of several side effects or adverse events that may happen from these. We're just talking about myocarditis. It's a fairly narrow range. It's important. It's pretty significant, but there are other things out there that we now know about that we need to talk about that are also side effects or adverse events from these vaccines that include everything from um, disrupting women's menorrheal cycles to neurological issues to uh, you name it. There's like a very, very wide list of things now. So why is all this important? Where am I going with this? First, let's go back to the results. Just understanding I wanted to put that limitation. Usually that's the last thing. I like to nudge that up just so we have it in our minds to understand. Here's what the study did. Here's what it did well. Here's maybe where it had a blind or, you know, maybe the data isn't totally complete. Given that, what are the results? Here they are. Okay, again, among 192 plus million persons receiving a total of 354 million mRNA-based COVID-19 vaccines during the study period, there were 1,991 reports of myocarditis to VAERS, and 1,626 of these reports met the case definition of myocarditis. So there's that high verification rate. They looked at 1,991, they adjudicated them, they're like, oh yeah, 1,626 of them was the real deal. Um, of those with myocarditis, the median age was 21 years. Median, so half older, half younger. So 21 was the median age. Um, there's a thing there called IQR. I'll explain what that is. But the basic range was between 16 and 31 years of age. Half of all the reports fell in that. And um, 
a quarter felt were lower than that and a quarter were higher. So that's what that means. We'll talk about that in just a second. The median time to symptom onset was two days with an IQR of one to three days. I'm going to talk about that in just a second, why that's critical. Males were 82% of the myocarditis cases. So full informed consent on these shots should be, hello, Mr. and Mrs. Smith. We understand you're bringing your son and your daughter in for mRNA vaccines. We get that. Um, we need to just inform you that there are differential uh, possible impacts or risks that would apply to your son versus your daughter. And full informed consent requires us to inform you about those. And if these rare, what we're calling rare side effects actually happen, these would be the consequences, right? That's sort of information that you would you would want to have, obviously. Okay, continuing in yellow, uh, next the crude reporting rates for cases of myocarditis within seven days after COVID-19 vaccination exceeded the expected rates of myocarditis across multiple age and sex strata. In green, quote, the rates of myocarditis were highest after the second vaccination dose in adolescent males age 12 to 15 years. Now, I feel reasonably safe talking about this, although who knows, this may get taken down because I am quoting a study that is in the JAMA network. Um, so hope this stays up because it's really critical information. Everybody ought to have this, um, but we'll see how that goes. Uh, skipping over a, a few of the results down here because um, we don't have context to put that in. I'll tell you, we'll get to it in a second, but in yellow, down at the bottom, approximately 96% of persons, 784 out of 813, were hospitalized. 87% of these had resolution of the presenting symptoms by hospital discharge. The most common treatment was non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, or NSAIDs, um, with 87% reporting in. But, um, you know, so, hey, here, here's some aspirin or ibuprofen or something like that. At any rate, 96% uh, of these people showed up at the hospital. So so immediately, let's let's connect this to something. If that many were hospitalized, that means that the chance of this ending up in the VAERS system was very high. There might have been other cases where people had those symptoms of myocarditis, remember? So you might have shortness of breath, you might have pain in your chest, you might have an irregular heartbeat. A lot of people probably just shrugged that off or didn't go to the hospital or waited or called their doctor. So those it's much more likely, given that high 96% hospitalization rate, that what we're talking about here is we're missing a big part of the sample set, right? And obviously, one thing that um, if 96% were hospitalized, they're not, they don't talk about mortality in here. It's an outcome. It happens. And since that didn't show up, I have some questions about that. But let's talk about this right now. Again, this median time to symptom onset was two days with an IQR of one to three days. So what does that mean? Again, I gave you a little hint. Here's what it is. Um, oops, let me move this down. So, well, uh, I think there might be too few reports um, because there's too few late reports. So what they're saying here, the IQR is where half of the, sim of, of the observations fall. So if they say the IQR is one to three days, they're saying half of all the VAERS reports were people who, after their second vaccination, most typically, they would have a... Uh, show up at the hospital and get treated either one days or as many as three days in that two-day window, days one, two, and three, afterwards uh, following their second shot. So that's 50% fell in there. 25% were even faster than that. They were less than one day, and 25% were more than three days. Now, the reason this is an issue, if that's the median time, if your IQR is one to three days, 
We know now as well that sometimes people don't present for two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, months later. I think that the only way you get a report into VAERS is if you have that tight temporal association. It really increases your odds. So you get the shot three days later in their hospital with uh, you know obvious treatable and, and needing treating myocarditis, there's a chance that gets recorded. You get the shot, it's July, and you show up in the hospital in September, it's going to get a little, little fuzzy at that point in time. So it's because the time, the, the temporal time is not there. So that's a limitation of the study is that it really only was pulling things from what I consider to be too tight of a time window. What we'd really want to do is look at the overall rates of myocarditis that our people are presenting across the whole population this year compared to last year compared to all prior years. Then we would we get to know. So that all cause, like, like the total number, is going to give us different data. But this is good. This is a start. It gives us enough to say, Houston, we have a signal here we have to talk about. So now, the reason I care about this timing issue is in the last uh, episode, I talked about how vaccine mRNA and plenty of spike protein remained in the germinal centers of the lymph nodes that find in your axial or armpit regions or down um, in your uh, chest cavity area or elsewhere down in your gut, that they found uh, plenty of spike protein and mRNA up to 60 days post-vaccination with mRNA um, vaccines. And so this is the mRNA vaccine probe, and it's maybe hard to see, but I can sure see it. Um, at the end of these little green arrows, we have these little red dots. This is control. This is where they're staining for mRNA. All those red dots are you know, splotches or where they detected mRNA. In the next thing, what they're looking for is just a probe against just mRNA for the, from the vaccines. And so there they find it. And of course, you're going to get a much lower signal because that should be just a piece of the overall mRNA landscape that's being translated inside of a cell. Um, as well, uh, they found a lot of spike protein manufactured as a consequence of having these mRNA vaccines out there in the germinal centers up by day 60. That's what these little sort of orangish, olivey colored uh, blotches are. It's a very uh, subtle sort of a staining, but there it is. Up to 60 days later, um, we see both spike protein and mRNA. Now, why is that important? Well, the importance is if either of these two things actually has some sort of a role to play, which we would suspect they do, in the myocarditis that's following the shots, in some people, and we don't know how many or what the total spread looks like, but in some people, they're there kind of for a long time. So that's something we need to consider as well. So this brings us to the story today. This is uh, Chantel and Brandon Watts and their two daughters. And this is a really troubling story to me. This is um, brings it home, puts a... This is going to be hard to talk about for me because um, this is... This, these things shouldn't happen, but they are happening, and so we have to talk about it. And Chantel gave her permission to put this story out. In fact, she put it out and said, spread it far and wide. So I'm going to do that here. This is a heartbreaking tragedy. She wrote here, quote, The father of my children died, dropped dead in front of them. At two and six years old, they lost their daddy, traumatically. They will live almost their entire lives without one of two people who love them most, Without one of two people, every kid deserves to grow up with. Brandon's death shook our community, continues to shake it, and it's about to rumble it more. I've been very open about every aspect of it, from posting 12 hours after his death to continuing to share our story and all aspects of my journey through grief. You, the community, have encouraged everything about this. This will be the biggest thing I share. Listen closely. Brandon died of lymphohistiocytic myocarditis. 
tragic. Oh my God. So let's, let's do this. Uh, let's talk about this. Um, lymphohistiocytic is a combination of words again, just like myocarditis. It's relating to both lymphocytes and histiocytes. So lymphocytes, classic white blood cells, histiocytes, um, these would be things like, well, let's look at it here. I'll put it up for you. Uh, a, a lymphocyte is a type of white blood, white blood cell with a spherical nucleus in the lymphatic system. This includes the B cells, T cells, natural killer cells. Now, natural killer cells, those are the ones that run around, and when they're activated, they kill cells that they think are doing something they shouldn't do, either manufacturing virus or they're cancerous. These are your these are your assassins. The natural killer T cells they come in and they will take your own cells out uh, if they feel like they have to and they get activated to do that. A histiocyte is a macrophage derived from bone marrow. It's found in connective tissue. Macrophages are um, they're really special. The the lymphocytes typically wander around in in the blood and they can cross through things a little bit um, coming out of um, blood vessels into tissue, but macrophages are specialists at this. They crawl around and they move and they engulf bacteria and they engulf cellular debris and they can are capable of activating all sorts of things. They're, they're little predators. These are like cheetahs running around doing their own thing. So a lymphohistiocytic myocarditis means you had a, too many of these types of cells in the, cardi, in the myocardium and they cause damage there. And this is what it would look like. This is not from Brandon's case. This is just another case I looked at. So this is a case report of a lymphocytic histi- lymphohistiocytic myocarditis. And so here we're looking at a, um, this is a histology, which means a little tiny fragment of heart tissue. In this case, this is a biopsy that was taken out a little tiny tube. And then it's um, embedded, it's fixed and embedded in a paraffin block and cut really, really fine and then put under a microscope. And these are really powerful microscopes looking at it after it's been stained. So here they're just doing what's called a Masson trichrome stain. It stains every different cell type. But here when we use, um, we can see a lot of these dark purple round spherical things. That's the lympho part of this story. So these are your round nucleus white blood cells and there's a lot of them and there's too many. There shouldn't be that many parked all throughout this tissue uh, as well when they stain for macrophages for a um, cd68 marker look at all these macrophages in this picture they're everywhere in here so they are clearly signaling there's a lot of trouble going on there's inflammation when we say itis myocarditis it means too many of these cells are showing up and they're creating that inflammation it's a normal healthy process unless it goes haywire then it's a very unhealthy very not good process so you know, inflammation is the way that your body deals with trauma. It's the way that it deals with um, invaders. It's the way that it repairs itself. It's part of the process. It can also, it's a very finely governed process. It can go out of whack and then it can do as much damage as is helpful, being helpful. That's what can happen. It's a very finely regulated system. And by the way, sometimes those systems get thrown out of whack. And here they're showing uh, the CD3 plus T cells uh, also stained. Again, these ovals are all from the same same slice of tissue, just stained differently. And so we can compare one to the next to the next. So if you were just looking at that meson trichrome in the upper left, you look at it and you go, ah, oh, there's a lot of cells there. And some of them, what are they? You know, I see a lot of what look like lymphocytes, possibly histiocytes, and then they stain. And we see, yeah, true. We see macrophages and we see the CD3 plus um, T cells, which includes, that includes the category of those natural killer um, T cells, which is the CD8 plus cells. All right. 
So that's what it looks like. This is what generalized inflammation sort of looks like with some labels on here. So there's all different types of white blood cells. We have eosinophils here. Uh, we have these neutrophils. Um, there's all this uh, inflammation going on here in the cell walls of these tubules right here. So this is what inflammation looks like if you're looking at this um, pathologically on a, on a histo histological slide. You look at it, and the first thing that jumps out to you as a pathologist is like, oh, my God, look at all those dark purple nuclei of all these cells that are in there, and these are typically the white blood cells. There is inflammation going on. There's other things you would notice, like the, the size of the swelling of these um, capillary walls and things like that, and the edema, which is the big spaces in here, which is that swelling you would get um, in an inflammation, you know, hot, red, swollen, right? That swollen is because the cell walls get leaky and fluids leak out and it leaks into the tissue, and this is what it looks like. That's what uh, inflammation looks like. It means uh, a recruitment of white blood cells and macrophages and other components of the immune system that come in, and if there's too many of them, they do damage. So back to the story here. Brandon died of lymphohistiocytic myocarditis. Just wanted to decode that for you so we could have this conversation. This was determined by the Ontario Coroner's Office at Kingston General Hospital. So this is in Canada. This is the place where right now you have truckers and non-truckers and Canadians saying we're all done with the mandates that we must become vaccinated as a condition of employment um, and other coercive elements like that. Because um, I just think this is relevant information and people in Canada and elsewhere ought to know that, right? If you're being forced to take something, you should know about this case and others just like this. Um, because of the absolute shock of a healthy, active 34-year-old man dropping dead, his body was sent to Kingston for a full and extensive autopsy. That ought to happen way more often than it does, by the way. The results can take several months, and I have just recently received the full report, which had to be formally requested. Mm -mm. I, I understand why, because any piece of information that might cast doubt on the vaccines is of course hidden it's hard to cut it's like it's it's like when when the police re release the body cam footage right away it's usually a pretty clean action they undertook when they hold on to it and claim there's <clears throat> privacy rights and they they drag their feet usually it shows something else so i i understand why this had to be formally requested when they eventually gave the cause of death, it shocked both the local coroner and our family doctor. It was assumed he died of a cardiomyopathy, a genetic condition that would have been born with and gone undiagnosed. This was not the case. Lymphohistiocytic myocarditis is caused by a virus. His heart was extensively damaged. There was so much scar tissue that it literally couldn't pump another beat. I had no chance at reviving him. The official report states that his entire heart was damaged, not one ventricle or one area, top to bottom damaged, fully attacked for multiple months. Brandon did not have COVID. His work supplied rapid tests, and we had gone several, and we had done several throughout the summer and fall. The virus that killed him was likely the mRNA vaccine. Any medical profession I have spoken to and who has looked into this further has been quick to disregard the vaccine as the cause as the research shows myocarditis cases only happening within two weeks of an administered dose. First off, what fucking research? We are the fucking research. Secondly, this is only what they are allowing to be reported. Mm -hmm. Excellent point there. 
Continuing, until November 5th, I was a sheep. I fully admit that. Brandon and I both believe strongly in the vaccine and would roll our eyes at protesters, conspiracy theorists, and all the anti-vax posts on social media. November 5th onward, my eyes have been opened. I owe this to Brandon, to share what I believe killed him, what did kill him, what left his daughters without their daddy. To open all your eyes, to allow yourselves to see things from another perspective, to think thoroughly before deciding to vaccinate your children or get yourself boosted. I cannot in good conscience allow schools to bring in vaccine clinics and stay silent. Uh, Finishing this out, man, this is hard. Um, I believe in science. I absolutely love and respect medicine. I will never, ever vaccinate my children or myself further against COVID-19. We know nothing about the long-term effects of this vaccine. Nothing. If you think you do, you don't. Please respect my energy on this. I have turned comments off. I will not reply to direct messages. If you see me in person, I'm happy to chat about it. Internet wars will never be my thing. But I feel deeply about sharing this. This isn't something that should ever be kept quiet. For all of you preaching to vaccinate children, please put yourselves in my shoes and then kindly allow yourselves to shut your mouth. Fight for your children and their rights. I'll be fighting for mine. We never got a chance to fight for Brandon. Please feel free to share. So there he is again. Um, He deserves to be honored and the story needs to come out. And I'm really thankful to Chantel for having written all of that up and actually shared the diagnosis and the autopsy findings because that's the only thing we'll ever know for sure about how to begin connecting dots. Is it possible that Brandon just had a random connection of uh, histiocystic myocarditis? Well, sure, I guess it is. But there's just way too many of these happening for this to be It needs to be studied, and it's not being studied. All right, so with that said, um, let me put this up here a little bit higher. Uh, Conclusions for this uh, special episode that I've just done here for the weekend. Um, The mRNA vaccine, it it causes myocarditis. We know that, 133 times the background rate. The true rate is almost certainly higher than that because of underreporting. It's just like when Chantel had to sort of drag the results out for her own husband's autopsy, I have dozens, if not hundreds, of reports of people saying they tried to get their own cases logged into theirs and their doctors wouldn't do it. Um, so we know that underreporting is a thing. We just don't know how much. Myocarditis can, ne- can, it can be anything from serious to fatal, but it's never mild. Let, let's not normalize this. When you have an inflammation of the heart, that's a serious thing. That, that's the lowest I'll go. Serious. I've seen lots of attempts, even by pediatricians, to normalize this a little by going, oh, it's just mild. It's like saying, I had a mild stroke or, you know, there was a mild case of pregnancy. It's like, no, Um, it's not mild. Never. It can be serious. It can be extremely serious. It can be fatal. All right. Remember now the itis and myocarditis, it means inflammation, which means almost certainly that a certain amount of damage is occurring. So the myocytes, your heart is one of those tissues that doesn't regenerate. So if a myocyte, if a muscle cell gets killed, if, if it, you know, natural killer T cell says you're out or, you know, mass cells dump too much of their awesome goodiness right in the vicinity and they end up killing that heart cell, that's gone, right? So to the extent that myocarditis leads to any sort of, um, uh, death in the, in the myocytes themselves is the extent to which it's a permanent piece of damage, okay? So uh, we just need to know that, that myocarditis doesn't always lead to myocyte death, but it's a very serious thing. And obviously in that spectrum, it can lead to it, in Brandon's case, a fatal amount. 
So what happened to Brianna Watts is, is just one of far too many tragedies that really should not have happened. Um, we should have had more extensive studies. We should have been collecting the data. The CDC has failed at this enormously. They still won't release um, the data that's in the V-Safe system, which is a parallel system that sort of vacuumed all the oxygen out of the VAERS reporting. And we don't know what's in there. They won't share it with us. They shared it with Oracle, but they won't uh, release it to us, the people who it belongs to. As well, um, we're, you know, we... we we just, every, we've been just failed. We've been failed by the people whose job it was not to fail at this. We've been failed by the people who are supposed to regulate this, oversee this. We've been failed by the doctors who have utterly failed to connect the dots. And these are the people who should have been in a position to connect the dots. If you're a doctor and you're in the ER or you're a heart specialist and you see a big bump in cases right around the time the vaccine started, that was your moral obligation and your professional duty to have reported that. That's the absolute case. So to the extent that we have doctors, um, other healthcare professionals, but especially regulators not doing their jobs, this is just something I have to speak up about. I can't contain it any longer. You know, I, I, I report about all of this at Peak Prosperity. We got great, you know, um, threads around that. Steve Kirsch does an extraordinary job reporting around this set of particular issues on the adverse events related to vaccines. There are a lot of doctors and a lot of good people out there trying very hard to raise awareness. And I will tell you this, the reporting agencies whose job it is to do this only ever block efforts to try and understand what the true risks are. And that's what actual informed consent is. You would understand all of the data as best we know it, and you would be able to assess that. We don't know what the data is. It hasn't been collected. It's been underreported. There's been friction about reporting it. It's been blocked. It's been hidden. People have had to FOIA request it. On and on and on and on. It's, it's absolutely, well, it's criminal as far as I'm concerned at this point. It's very much um, un- not okay. And so that's, that's the landscape we're in right now. That's the battle that we're up to at this point in time. So, hey, that's all I have for you today. Listen, um, if you want to come by Peak Prosperity... Come, please do. We've got some great conversations going on there. And so um, you find that at peakprosperity.com. Otherwise, I will see you. There's just so much to talk about. We're talking about the economy. We're talking about the truckers. We're talking about lots of things. Some science, too, because I, I love science. And I think it should be done openly, fairly, with rigorous, uh, robust debate. And that's all. Hey, that's all I got for you today. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.